0: Welcome to the Disney View Podcast. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer. He's a one-time cast member, and he's been to Disney World literally hundreds of times. Listen in as he talks about one of his favorite things, the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, and occasionally beyond the Orlando theme park. And now, here's your host. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse
1: alejados del David. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, last time I talked about the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the book, and the Disney movie. On today's podcast, I wanted to look at the attractions Disney developed to bring the movie further to life. Since the movie came out in 1954 and Disneyland opened in 1955, Walt Disney actually had the sets moved to Disneyland. So many of the original sets became a walkthrough attraction that was open from 1955 until 1966. So guests could go in and experience what life aboard the Nautilus might have been all about. And then in 1959, an ambitious expansion of Tomorrowland and Disneyland was completed, which included the addition of a new attraction including the Matterhorn bobsleds, the monorail, and the submarine voyage. Now, the submarine voyage was commissioned on June 6, 1959 in front of Richard Nixon, Walt Disney and his wife Lillian, and officers of the U.S. Navy. Now, the attraction made use of early animatronics to create underwater life and used the forced perspective method to increase the feeling of realism. Eight submarines were painted in Cold War-friendly gray that took guests through the attraction which took place in the lagoon visible from Tomorrowland, and a large show building hidden behind two waterfalls. It became extremely popular with guests, and Walt Disney Imagineering consequently uh, planned a more elaborate version for the forthcoming Florida project, which would become Walt Disney World. So the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea attraction at Walt Disney World was affectionately called 20K, The ride at Walt Disney World opened on October 14, 1971, that's two weeks after the park opened, and is considered one of the original flagship attractions. It took up about 25% of the real estate in Fantasyland. And that's really astounding if you stop and think about it, and remember that it's only about a third of the size that they originally planned the ride to be. Now, the 20K attraction and the submarine voyage shared many of the same elements in animatronics. And that could be how we wound up with uh, out-of-place mermaids and a kind of silly-looking sea serpent in the 20K attraction since they weren't part of the original story. But even so, it's obvious uh, how 20K was tweaked and improved in almost every respect. But still, even the attraction posters were nearly identical. Now, by the time development work for what is today Walt Disney World began, Disney Imagineers had already been working out a rough concept for a sister attraction to Disneyland's submarine voyage. In the Disney World version, the huge water tank held about 11.5 million gallons of water. And this was the biggest and most expensive of Disney's attractions that had ever been conceived. There's a story that the Magic Kingdom attraction was originally intended to have been installed in place of the submarine voyage in California in 1959, as the two attractions were identical for the most part except for the theming and a couple of elements of the plot. It's also believed that the ride's corporate sponsor, General Dynamics, preferred to keep the original concept, so the submarine voyage opened in 1959 with a non specific theme and with nuclear as opposed to Victorian submarines. Now, despite the efforts of construction and installation teams attached to the 20,000 Leagues project, the attraction opened two weeks after the Magic Kingdom due to infrastructure problems with the lagoon. The completed attraction covered almost a quarter fantasy land, including the lagoon and the hidden show building that's surrounded by palm trees and volcanic rock, meant to evoke the impression of Captain Nemo's Pacific Ocean Base and Volcania. A storage facility at the back of the show building served to house submarines removed from the main line during day-to-day operation, and also included a dry dock for repair work. Along the shores of the lagoon, small beaches were built, one with a chest of abandoned pirate treasure. The words 20,000 Leagues were spelled out in nautical code from the signal flags at the entrance of the attraction. The team of cast members operating the attraction played the roles of Nemo's ever-silent crew, and even wore authentic replicas of the screen production's costumes. Throughout the attraction's life, the crews were almost exclusively male, but the first Helmswoman did appear in the 1970s. Now, the signature pieces of the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea were the 12 vehicles adapted for theme park use from Harper Goff's Nautilus designs from the 1954 live-action version by Disney Imagineer George McGinnis. And while 12 isn't quite correct in terms of the number of submarines, there were actually two more. Each Each had a Roman numeral 13 on its side, maybe it was an unlucky number, which grappled with the giant squids on either side of the track that the submarine rode along. And that would bring the unofficial total of the number of submarines to 14. Now the basic hulls were constructed by Morgan Yacht in Clearwater, Florida, with the final building work being transferred to the Tampa ship midway through the construction. Another veteran Imagineer, Bob Gurr, oversaw the project. Now upon delivery to Walt Disney World in August of 1971, the vehicles weighed some 40 tons and were installed into a concrete guide track mounted on top of a mechanism that limited bumping accidents. The attraction vehicles were not actually submarines, but instead boats in which guests sat below the water level. But on the surface, they looked just like the Nautilus that appeared in the movies, green, sleek, and beautiful. The interiors were a mix of metal paneling, rivets and bolts, as well as Victorian-esque fittings in the form of passenger seats that could flip outwards. The arm rests beneath the portholes in keeping with the Harper-Goff concepts from the 1954 film. Each guest aboard the Nautilus has his or own seat, as well as round portholes to look out the attraction. A small button located in the porthole recess was intended for defogging the window if needed, though it rarely worked. Located at the top of the window was a recess with a small speaker through which Captain Nemo guides his guests through their underwater adventure. Above the seating area was the sail, as it was known in nautical terms and certainly known to all the cast members, where the helmsman stood and controlled the vehicle's operation. The diving effect was produced by bubble machines located throughout the attraction as well as using waterfalls to hide the entrance to the show building. Now, each of the 12 vehicles accommodated a total of 40 riders. Vehicles normally cycled through the attraction in packs of three, and now voice artist Pete Renaday stood in for James Mason in the role of Captain Nemo. And yes, it's the same Pete Renaday that you've heard about on this podcast before, the same person who appeared as Henry the Bear in the Country Bear Jamboree, uh, the narrator of the Walt Disney Story film of The Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, he played Abraham Lincoln from 1993 to 2008 in the Hall of Presidents. He was Mark Twain on the Mark Twain Riverboats and also was the voice of TTA Central on the Tomorrowland Transit Authority. Now, some people incorrectly attribute the voice to Paul Fries, but Fries did not do Nemo. He did a number of other things for the Walt Disney Company, But uh, I think the confusion comes from the fact that uh, in one of the album releases, Freeze did narrate a trip into the 20K ride in one part and portrayed Ludwig van Drake on the same album. And that may be part of the reason that people get confused on it. Now, there are a few details about the design and construction that relate back to its opening. The Walt Disney Imagineering Team, uh, the mechanical engineering team that worked out of MAPO, remember MAPO stands for Mary Poppins, that facility in Glendale, California, began the expansion in the late 1960s to handle all of the new attractions planned for the upcoming Walt Disney World. Now, Disney had contracts with a number of companies in the U.S. uh, to build uh, ride vehicles. Tampa Shipyard in Florida uh, rebuilt existing steam engines for the Walt Disney World Railroad and had been contracted for the final assembly of the uh, 20K submarines, as well as a lot of the Walt Disney World watercraft. Now, George McGinnis styled his uh, Walt Disney World uh, 20K subs after the Jules Verne sub in the movie of the same name. Now, Morgan Yacht in Clearwater, Florida, started building the basic hulls, and McGinnis was making drawings for the MAPO electrical drafters So essentially what you were doing was taking some drawings that uh, George McGinnis had come up with, and uh, now you had some drafters pumping out wiring diagrams and and supplying equipment uh, that was arriving daily at the submarine shop. Now the Tampa guys, the the people that worked in the Tampa shipyard, had to put all this together. The location was a big naval shipyard full of fascinating stuff, and uh, there was a big tin shed that they all worked in. New drawings were arriving from uh, Walt Disney Imagineering every day, and uh, they had to get them to the sub guys and be explained before the uh, daily storms uh, because the drawings were filled with inaccuracies and the printed images dissolved when it started to rain. Now along the way, they were starting to get conflicting electrical diagrams from the MAPO office. Wires would maybe carry 12 volts DC on one side of the diagram but end up with 115 volts of AC on the other side of the diagram. Parts were specified that had never arrived, but on the other hand, they had received equipment for the sub that was not in the diagrams. And then one Friday afternoon, the Tampa supervisor showed the Disney rep, uh, Bob Gurrell, some big coils of electrical Navy, Navy wire left over from uh, World War II. He said uh, this was going in the sub first things Monday morning and diagrams are not. And so they did. They wired it and tested out all the connections. Now, one of the things the, uh, the group did was very smart. They used a very low-tech method of using a dry cell battery, basically like a car battery, and um, using a bell at the other end so they would test their wiring by hooking up the battery at one end completing a circuit at the other end with a uh, with the bell and if the bell rang then they knew that they had hooked it up correctly so that's the way they proved out their circuitry it was very clever in the meantime, the uh, fancy interior trim parts began to arrive. So Morgan Yacht was over making the, uh, the interior parts, and they were a little loose with the dimensions, perhaps, and George McGinnis was uh, trying to fit everything back up in the studio in Burbank. Um, but here the, were these guys in the uh, Tampa shipyard trying to fit everything together, no matter what didn't fit right. Um, so they had to use the uh, hack fit method um, to put uh, things together and kind of make things fit. But they finally came up with their first sub on August thirteenth, 1971. Now they had to get a special flatbed to be able to put a 40-ton sub on to be able to take it over to Walt Disney World. And it took a whole day to make the drive there with this spectacular Jules Verne creation weaving its way through small towns, trying to find a route to miss all the overhead power lines and such. The sub was put on the biggest trailer they could find, and this this great green monster rolled in with most of its overloaded trailer tires blown out, trailing a thick cloud of burning smoke. I can imagine what that must have looked like. Now, 20K was originally set up as an e-ticket attraction, and it was a smashing success. Now, one little story for you is the crews of 20K and the Jungle Cruise often competed for which attraction could dazzle more visitors in a day, and uh, 20K seems to have always won, according to legend. Now, the ride wasn't for everyone. But the young and imaginative loved it. It's not about thrill rides, it's about storytelling. It's about making something that was really unique and different. And so now all we have left is memories, really. Well, that and the original ride audio. So I'd like to play that for you now. You can watch the video on my show notes page if you want to go back and watch the video. But here's Pete Renaday as Captain Nemo. Imagine, if you will, seeing things he's describing. It didn't matter where you sat in the sub, the images were shown on both sides of the sub, so no matter where you sat, you saw everything he describes. Enjoy!
2: Welcome aboard the Nautilus crew. My name is Aaron and I will be your host and helmsman today as we cruise 20,000 leagues under the sea. While on board, please refrain from eating, drinking, smoking, and the use of flash photography. Due to the highly reflective nature of our porthole windows, flash photos do not develop properly. All you'll get when you get your pictures back is a big white reflection of your flash. So crew, if you do wish to take pictures today, just do so without your flash attachments. Captain Nemo will be joining us very shortly and we will be getting a. Under-
3: See, make all preparations for getting underway. Aye aye, sir. All hands are stationed.
2: A level alive. Cast off board.
3: seen. On loophole will pass beneath the polar ice cap, and then probe depths seldom seen by man. So make yourselves comfortable, but please, remain seated at all times. many familiar inhabitants of the undersea world the great green sea turtles for instance are the reptilian patriarchs of the deep these amphibious descendants of the dinosaur have changed little in the past 200 million years groupers or giant sea bass roam the coastal bottoms in search of food giant clam obviously is quite safe from such marine predators The fish world has always been considered a silent habitat but with our sonar hydrophones we've discovered that fish actually talk. listen. Nature has sown here beneath the sea. Kelp beds are cultivated, sea creatures corralled and protected from predators, just as terrestrial shepherds protect their flocks from ravenous wolves. Surface storm ahead, sir. Weather alert. All controls eight degrees down. Hold her at 80 and proceed on call. The Warfulist can dive safely below the violence of ocean storms. Surface vessels are not so fortunate. Witness the evidence of their fate. The graveyard of lost. have kept their secret treasures, safeguarded by silent sentinels of the deep. Man-eating sharks, nature's most unpredictable predators of this. And it was, you know, it looks looks pretty good. In this region of the polar ice cap, you are witnessing a rare visual phenomenon the Aurora Borealis above us. Nice blow thickening, sir. Ascending into that region in deeper water where the sun has never penetrated. Here, in this realm of eternal darkness, nature has provided her creatures with their own eerie luminescence. Morning, light, sir. We reach maximum depth limit. Take her back up to eighty Fathoms. 80 Fathoms beyond which man and his puny efforts cannot survive. We have almost exceeded those limits. The usual formation is pointing starboard, sir. Ah, these crumbling heaps of stone betray the hand of man. I believe we've made a startling discovery. These classic ruins could very well be the legendary Lost Continent of Atlantis. Some scholars theorize that a remarkable civilization was destroyed by a tremendous volcano. any concept of Atlantis' pure fantasy, along with legends of sea serpents and mermaids. Begging your pardon, sir, but did you say sea serpents are weird fantasies? Belay there, mate. Anyone in his right mind knows there's no such thing as a sea serpent or mermaids. Mr. Baxter, if you think you're seeing mermaids and sea monsters, you've been submerged too long. eggshell. Proceed on course. All ahead. All ahead. Aye, aye. Station the maneuvering watch. Aye, aye, sir. All hands to stations. Ladies and gentlemen, in just a few moments we will be docking at Volcano, our home port. It has been a pleasure having you aboard the Nautilus on this memorable voyage that has taken us 20,000 leagues under the sea. Captain to bridge. Reduce speed and proceed to number four flight. Stand by to dock. Bridge, highlight. Oh, Fall ahead, one third. Stand by the
2: way. Once again, crew, we will be docking shortly, and at that time, I would like to ask that you please remain in your seats until I have turned on the white cabin lights above you yeah, and given the um, all ashore signal. The kind of but once time. I do turn on those white cabin lights and give so the all ashore, time like you may that. stand up, return your yeah, seats to the original I whole upper position, gather on yeah, your emotional belonging, like take small children I by I the hand, and I exit out through the folks front hatch for yeah. a submarine. But that's I mean, right, crew, we will be exiting through the front hatch, and that is the opposite hatch from what you entered. But once again, for your own safety, please remember to wait until I have turned on the white lights and given the all ashore before standing up and exiting.
1: pretty cool now the 20k ride was abruptly temporarily closed for renovations on september 5th 1994 which is as it turned out was the nice way of saying we're shutting down a great ride forever now next week i'll explore why it was shut down and what disney's plans were for the space but that's it for this week and remember if we can dream it we really can do it
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. Show notes can be found on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. Looking to do some travel planning? Want to find an authorized Disney vacation planner? You should visit destinations in Florida. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound On Music. You can find his music at ReverbNation.com slash sound a our thanks also go to Doug for his continued contributions to the show you can find links to other great Disney podcasts as well as the latest Twitter feed and the Disney buzz on Disneypodcast.net and don't forget to check out Dave's iPhone apps There's a Hidden Mickeys app for finding and sharing Hidden Mickeys at all of the Disney parks around the world. There's also an app designed especially for pin traders. You can keep track of all your pins and your wish lists. Please be generous with your time or a donation to Autism Speaks. We do hope that you've enjoyed your visit and that you drive home safely. Show number 135.